So as we get ready to dive into this story, and I want to dive into it this morning if I can, if I may this morning, all right? Sometimes I like to hit it fast and hard, but today I think we're going to go deep, all right? So just, you know, get comfortable, hang on to your hats. I see some of you wearing hats, that's good. I wanted to title this message, Unblinded by the Light. Because we've been talking about light as the theme of what God is doing. As you look at our verse for the year, um, that says that as God enters our lives, we become more like him and we become brighter and more beautiful. So I'm really working with the idea of becoming brighter because of the light of God that is in us. And this story of a blind man seeing, I think it's very interesting, right? A little play on words that he's unblinded by the light. But I'm also struck by the method that he uses. So that's why the other title could be when God puts mud on your eyes. And so that's the uh, title for the message this morning that we are unblinded by the light when God puts mud on our eyes. And so I want to just give a little bit of background so that we can really understand and dive into this narrative a little bit deeper. All right. So we've been talking about how John proclaims that Jesus is the light of the world, the true light of the world. Right. And he says that God is light. And Jesus is the true light that is coming into the world that gives light to everyone. Now, Jesus himself follows this up later on in John, in John chapter 8, when he says, I am the light of the world. He's confirming the message that his disciple John is writing about him, saying that I am the light of the world. But I want to give you a little background, a little context and setting for Jesus saying this, because we don't quite understand not being there, the impact of Jesus' statement saying, I am the light of the world, right? I mean, some of us have heard that phrase just too often, to be honest, right? Or, or it's something that we can't quite grasp. And for Jesus to just stand up and say, hey, everybody, I am the light of the world. What does that mean? What was the context and the setting into which he said that? Well, it occurs in John chapter 8, and it occurs right after the Feast of the Tabernacles. In fact, it's probably the very next day. The Feast of Tabernacles was celebrated by the Jews for about a week long, and they had ceremonies that they would do during this entire week that was calling them to look for the coming of God, to look for what they called the day of the Lord, the day the Lord is going to show up, and the Lord's going to defeat all of our enemies, and he's going to make everything right, and we're just going to be vindicated as the people of God on this earth. And so so they were looking for that time, remembering that most of their existence, they had wandered. They had gone from country to country. They had been enslaved. They had been in exile. They said, we are a wandering people, but we want a home. We want to be established in this temple here in Jerusalem. So during the Feast of Tabernacles, they took their cue from the prophet Zechariah, chapter 14, verses 6 through 9, where the Lord is talking about this day of the Lord. And the Lord says, on that day, there will be neither sunlight nor cold, frosty darkness. It will be a unique day, a day known only to the Lord, when no distinction between day and night, when evening comes, there will be light. And on that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half of it to the east of the Dead Sea, half of it west of the Mediterranean Sea, in summer and winter. And the Lord will be king over the whole earth. And on that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. This is the promise that they were looking forward to. So they had two ceremonies. They had a water ceremony where they would bring water to the altar and pour on it. And I actually talked about this last year. We had a sermon on the living water of Jesus Christ. And so we talked about how they would come and they would pour water onto this altar and it would flow out to represent this prophecy right here, right? And Jesus stood up in John chapter 7 on that day, on the last and greatest day of the festival, right? When they're looking for the living water of God to come and they're actually taking pictures of water and pouring them on the altar and it's running off and Jesus stands up in the middle of that and says, is anyone thirsty? Ah, oh, I'm 
see the power of that statement? Is anyone thirsty? Let him come to me. Me into And streams of living water by which he meant the Holy Spirit would flow out of him. Well, they had another ceremony that they did as well. And that ceremony was that they would light lights every night of the Feast of Tabernacles. And these lights were on these huge pillars that were in the temple. And on top of these pillars were golden bowls full of oil. And the priests would climb up on the ladder and they would light these pillars of light that were huge, that were massive. And they say that every night it lit up the whole city of Jerusalem. If you can imagine... At a time when there was no electricity, when there was no street lights, can you imagine what night looks like when there's no electronic light going on, right? So at that time, they said it was so bright that it lit up the whole city. I mean, these flames were glowing off of the limestone walls of the temple, off of all of the gold objects that were there. I mean, it must have been an amazing sight. And every night, they would light all of these lamps, and the fire would burn, and the light would shine throughout Jerusalem. And it was said also that they would celebrate with singing and dancing. Amen. This was a party. This was no solemn celebration. They were celebrating the light because they knew that God needed to bring light into the world. And it was said that the righteous men, the ones who had done good deeds that year, they were given a torch and a palm branch and they could start dancing in the street, right? Amen. If we had that today, maybe Angel would get a palm branch in the hand and be like, Angel, you're a righteous man. You're doing some good stuff this year. Here you go. Dance in the streets. And they were dancing. They were celebrating. And light was everywhere. And it says in John chapter 8 that Jesus continued to teach after that last day of the festival. Probably the very next morning, Jesus comes into the temple. Maybe as these lights are slowly burning down and as the sun is coming up. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Wow. That's a lot different in that context, isn't it? Wow, I am the light of the world. Not only is the context important, the setting is important, right? Because it goes on to say that where he was teaching them, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It says later on that he spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were being put. Yet no one sees them because his hour had not yet come. Why is that important? Why do we need to know that? Because you need to know a little bit of background first. You've got to understand where they put the offerings, where they collected the offerings of the people, where that existed in the temple. It existed in the court of the women. Now, why did they have a court of women? Because women weren't allowed to go everywhere. You know, women were not allowed to go as far as the men went. So if he taught somewhere else, the women couldn't be there. And in fact, the Gentiles couldn't even have been there if he taught somewhere else. Because the Gentiles, meaning every person that's not a Jew, all right, so every other race, every other ethnic background, every other culture, they were, they were segregated out and they were not as good as the Jews, right? So if it was like today, it wouldn't matter if we were Swedish or Puerto Rican, we would still be Gentiles. You understand what I'm saying? It wouldn't matter if we were African or European. We would all be on the outside, according to the Jews, because it was only the Jewish men that could go into certain areas of the temple. So it's interesting, right, that they put the offering where the women and the other people can give, right? <laughs> they don't want to let women do certain things, but they want to get their money. Does anybody hear what I'm saying this morning? Right? They don't want to let other cultures get all the way in, but they want to make sure that they get their money, right? You see what's happening here, that he stands in a place where everyone can hear this message. Everyone. Women and men. Jews and Gentiles. He is saying, I am the light of the world. 
You understand why this is significant that he stood next to the offerings in the court of women because Jesus is the light for the whole world because God so loved the world, which means everyone, that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be an atoning sacrifice, not only for our sins, but the sins of the entire world. You see, there was a prophecy from the Isaiah the prophet that said that the Messiah, the servant of God, would be a light for salvation to the Gentiles, to the ends of the earth, to the whole world. We need to remember that. The power of what he said in the context in that setting is that this message is for everyone. So hear me carefully, friends. Each and every single one of you, this message is for you. You are welcome. You are invited. You are being reached out to with the love of Almighty God. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, God's love and God's light is for everyone, absolutely everyone. So then John moves on right after this teaching and this declaration to give us a story, a narrative that illustrates, or I like to say illuminates, what he's trying to say. Amen? And that's the story that Adal read for us this morning. The story of Jesus and his disciples walking along, and they see a man that's been blind from the time he was born, right? And the man doesn't say anything, and Jesus doesn't say anything, but the disciples initiate this conversation. Well, this is interesting. We want to know who sinned. Who's responsible for this right here? Did this man sin or did his parents sin? And Jesus, Jesus basically tells them, and I'm using the message version of the Bible, you're asking the wrong question. You're asking the wrong question. Don't look for someone to blame, but look for what God can do. Amen. Don't look for someone to blame, but look for what God can do. And I think that's a powerful word for us at this time and this day, right? Because the man wasn't looking to be saved, right? The man wasn't looking to be healed. He had accepted his position. He had been blind from birth. He had probably, if he had wanted to, tried everything he could to heal his blindness. But he wasn't looking to be healed. He didn't call out like other people did and said, Son of David, save me. He didn't request this healing. He didn't ask his friends to take him to Jesus. He's just sitting there in his situation, in his struggle. And he's not even looking for a miracle, right? And how many of us today are in some kind of situation, in some kind of struggle in our life, right? And the struggle is real. We acknowledge that the struggle is real. Whatever it is for you, we may not understand it. We may not have gone through the same thing. But some of us are sitting in a situation that is a struggle. And we're not even looking for God to do something. Amen? We're not even, do you understand what I'm saying? So many people not even here aren't even looking for what God can do. And then you got these other people who are not in the situation of struggle, right? The disciples, they're not looking for Jesus to heal either, are they? They're not looking for him to do a miracle. They're not looking for him to help this man. What are they looking for? They're looking for someone to blame. They're trying to figure out what went wrong. They were trying to have this theological, philosophical discussion about what are the reasons and the situation and the things that caused this man to be born blind, right? For you understand that many people in that day, and actually in some parts of the world today, believe that people that are born blind or with some kind of physical defect or infirmity, that they're cursed, that they're somehow cursed by God, that that must be the reason. So maybe this man's sin, right? 
And blindness was very common in Jesus' day. In fact, it was more common, they say, than now just because they didn't have the, the medicine and the technology that we have now. Right? So people could get injuries in their eyes that couldn't be healed. They could get something unsanitary. There were all kinds of things that could affect your eyesight, right? But they didn't have no clinics. They didn't have no laser eye surgery, right? They didn't have no lens crafters back in the day. So a lot of more people, by percentage, suffered from ailments to their eyes, from blindness. This was not uncommon. And so those people would try all kinds of things, right, to heal their blindness. But he was born blind from birth. He had never seen before. And the disciples are only interested in this discussion. What happened? What happened? What are the reasons? Did he do something wrong or did his parents do something wrong? Oh my God, Ernie, you know where I'm going this morning. How many of us that have not been in the struggle looked at someone else in the struggle and all we want to do is say, what did they do wrong? Is anybody hearing me this morning? Is it coming to me? We want to say, what did they do wrong? Or what did their parents do wrong? Or what's wrong with the system? What's wrong with this world? We want to understand why this person has, has, is in this situation, is in this struggle. And there comes a point when Jesus wants to move. See, there's a time and place for those discussions. But we've got to understand that there comes a point when Jesus wants to do something. And that's what we need to be concerned about. How many of us are looking for what is wrong, looking for answers to why the problem happened, and we're not looking for what God is about to do? I believe in this moment, in this time, God is about to do something. I believe God wants to move in a powerful way. I do. And I believe he's asking us, he's asking us to stop looking for someone to blame and to look for what God is about to do because we need the power of God today. Amen. We need the power of God. We don't need more programs. We need more power. That's what I want to say this morning. We don't need more programs. We need more power. Because we got enough programs. we got enough plans. You've got enough plans in your life. You don't need more plans in your life. You need more power. Let me say it another way. We don't need no more promises. We need more power. Right? We don't need no more words. We need more power behind those words. You see, it's all fine when we put things together. But it's like the prophet Elijah when he set up the stones to become the altar and he laid the sacrifice on it. I mean, he planned. He prepared. He set it up. But what did he need? The power of God to come down in the fire and set it all ablaze. Right? I'm challenging those of you who follow Christ today that if you are involved in putting together programs and plans to help the community or to help your family or maybe even you've got a plan and program for yourself, you're trying to help yourself, I want to tell you what you need to do at this moment. At this moment is pray for the power of God to come upon what you're doing. Because Jesus said there comes a point when I'm about to do something. The man isn't looking for a healing. The disciples aren't looking for a healing. But Jesus is about to heal, right? And when God's about to move, he said, I'm looking for some people that are looking for what I'm about to do. Amen. I'm looking for some people that are looking for what I'm about to do because I'm about to release my power in a powerful way. I've got something going on here. I am the light of the world. I'm about to show people what it really is. And what does he do? He tells his disciples, you want to see the power of God on display. I am the light. I've come into the world to show you what God is about. To show you that God wants to heal and God wants to restore, right? So how does he do it? How does he do it? I find it interesting the method that Jesus uses, right? It says that after he spoke, he got down. He took some dirt, right? And he spit in it. Made some mud. He made some clay, right? And he, and he put it on the man's eyes. And then he told the man, you need to get up, go to the pool of Siloam, and wash your face. And the man did it. The man got up, he went to the pool of Siloam, 
He washed his eyes, and suddenly he could see. Oh, can you imagine that moment? Can you just try to imagine living your whole life, never being able to see? Living your whole life, he lived for 20, maybe 30 years of his life, never being able to see, and suddenly he can see everything? Well, it might feel like being born again, wouldn't it? Wow. And we think it's strange, right? We think it's strange the way that Jesus healed, right? Who goes around putting some mud on people's eyes, right? Who goes around taking some dirt, spitting in it, putting it on the man's eyes? That seems strange to us, right? Because we live in this society, you know, where we've got all this modern technology and we've got all kinds of medicine and we've got things that God uses to heal people in a powerful way, amen? But he does this for a certain reason. First of all, I want to say it probably wasn't that unusual for that time. Because again, if you think about all the remedies that could have been tried to heal someone of blindness, he probably had all kinds of paste put on his eyes. Organic, holistic, you know, all kinds of things that people thought maybe could heal you. Maybe he'd even been to some spiritual people or magic people or religious people to try to get his healing, right? He would have tried all different kinds of things. The best of what they had in medical knowledge at the time, they would have tried it. I'm going to guess it probably would have included putting some paste or something on his eyes, right? So I don't think he thinks that it was that unusual. In fact, some research suggests that people back then thought that saliva had healing qualities, right? I know we could take that too far and say people went around spit, be healed, be healed, be healed. You know, I don't think it was like that. But you know, people were trying to figure out how things work, right? So I don't think that this would have felt unusual to the man, especially if you've been blind that long and probably everybody and their brother and their dog had told you what you needed to do, right, to be healed. Or to do it. So he probably wasn't that unusual to him. But why did Jesus do this? Do you wonder that question? Why did he do it this way? Same question we ask every day of our lives. Jesus, why don't you just snap your fingers? Why don't you just do it? He could have, right? Because said, hey, hey, snap my fingers. You can see again, right? He could have just spoke. See. And the man would have seen, right? But he didn't do that. He didn't do that. He didn't even have to say anything, right? That's not what we believe about God. He didn't have to say or do anything. He could have just thought it, and suddenly the man would see again, right? And so many of us, that's exactly how we want God to work in our lives, right? We don't want some kind of process or experience or any time to pass. We just want God to do it somehow, some way. We go to sleep and wake up, and we can see, right? I actually used to do that. I just thought of that when I was a kid because I you know, started to wear glasses when I, when I was like 10. And I hated wearing glasses, you know, because everybody calls you four eyes and everybody called that. And, and they, call me my, they call me beady eyes baby. Now, I was real. Don't use that against me. I was just real and admitting that to me. Don't use that against me. They call me beady eyes baby. I mean, just, you know, glad you felt like I could do sports because I had to wear glasses and all this stuff. And I actually went to bed praying when I was younger, God, let me wake up and see clearly. Like, I really thought that's what I wanted. God, I didn't, I didn't put any mud on my eyes. Maybe I should have. But I would pray. I would just say, because that's what I wanted. I just wanted it to happen. I would go to sleep. I would wake up and I, and I could see clearly. And I would be healed and all of that. That didn't happen. Jesus could have had lasers shoot out of his fingers. Right? He could have healed the man that way. He could have said, oh, laser eye surgery. You won't see this for a few thousand years. But here you go. <laughs> and he could have healed him that way. Why on earth? Did he take the earth, mm, the earth, to heal the man? Because Jesus, the creator of the world, when he had formed everything, from the sun and the moon and the stars, to the mountains and the trees and the forests and the rivers and the oceans, 
After he had formed all of the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and the animals on the ground, Jesus Christ knelt down and he picked up the dust of the earth. And who knows, you can't form anything out of dry dust. So what do you add? You add some water to make some clay. And he formed the very first man, Adam. And he breathes his life into him. So when Jesus at this moment picks up some dirt and spits in it and makes some mud, he is saying, look what I'm doing. I am recreating. I am restoring. I am renewing. I'm about taking that which is damaged in my creation and I'm about to make it new again. Watch what I'm going to do. Watch what I'm going to do. I'm going to create once again. The life that I have intended for each and every one of my creations. He said, I created the first man by doing this. You, my son, my child. I'm going to create again and restore you to life. And restore your sight. Amen? Amen. Amen. But even then, hold on, I told you. We're digging deep, right? That might be enough, right? That might be enough, but we're not done yet. Because does the man see yet? Oh, think about it. He's had a touch from God. He's heard the word of God. This powerful reenactment of creation has just been put on his eyes, but he still can't see yet. He can't see yet. You know why? Because God wants him to participate in the healing. Amen. God wants him to participate in the power. Jesus says, you got to get up. You got to go and you got to wash. He wants him to participate. Jesus knows that when we move, the miracle comes. Are you with me? When we move, the miracle comes. Anybody believe that? Say it. When we move, the miracle comes. Say it if you believe it. When we move, the miracle comes. Because sometimes you just got to get up. God is calling to you. God is giving you everything you need for your healing, for your power. But you got to get up. You got to get up. You can't stay sitting down. So many people want their situation to change, but they don't want to get up. How's your situation going to change if you don't get up and move out of it? You got to get up and you got to move. You got to get up and you got to go. You're going to participate in the healing when you start to walk it out. You see, I think it's like when we come to church here at Hartford City Church, right? And this is going to happen today, too. I'm telling you, you're glad you came today because the power of God is going to touch you, right? So we come here, and it's like we get the mud put on our eyes, right? We get the touch. We get the anointing of Jesus, right? We hear his voice, and we're like, oh, something is stirring within me. And we think that that's it, but that's just the beginning. Your healing, your power is going to come when you get up and walk out of this place. And when you get up on Monday morning and you say, you know what? I'm tired of sitting in this situation. I'm tired of accepting what the world says that I need to do or what the world says that I can do. And I'm going to get up and I'm going to go where Jesus sends me. Amen. Amen. Go where Jesus sent you. Catch this wordplay in the narrative, right? It says that Jesus, who has been called previously the one sent by God, now sends this man to the pool of Salome, which means sent. Jesus is calling us to go. Calling us to go. We need to go where Jesus calls us to go. If you want to experience the power and the healing of God today, then what you need to do, friends, is you need to get up and you need to go, right? You need to get up and you need to go. And I think for too long, we've been listening to the devil. And we've been letting the devil treat us like a dog. What do I mean by that? What do you tell the dog? Sit, stay. And that's what the devil's been telling you for too long. Sit down. 
Don't say anything. Stay. Sit and stay. Sit and stay. Well, I'm telling you, who's tired of being treated like a dog by the devil? Anybody? Anybody be tired told by the world what to do? Jesus tells you, get up and go. Get up and go. Get up and go and wash your eyes. And as you participate in the power of God, as you walk it out, yeah? You get what I'm saying? As you walk it out, your healing is coming, right? As you begin to act and move in faith, your healing is coming upon you. The power of God is coming upon you. Oh, is anybody looking for it this morning? Is anybody looking for it this morning? Has anybody heard the word of Jesus telling you to get up? Telling you the time is to get up. The time is to get up. Listen. We all struggle. We all struggle. I've struggled in my life with like low self-esteem and feeling really bad, especially when I was younger, especially when I was a teenager, right? And I know that God's spirit has told me to get up and begin to walk. And I praise God that I've been able to do it. But listen carefully to me, friends. God heals you in every way possible. Some of us need more help than that. Some of us need to see a doctor or a psychologist or a psychiatrist or maybe even use medicine to help us, right? There's nothing wrong with that. You know why? Because Jesus created all of that. We want to say something is man-made, but nothing is man-made because we don't create out of nothing. Am I right? Am I right? The very atoms and the very particles that create the medicine were created by Jesus Christ. Come on. Isn't that awesome? He's created everything. Don't, don't be discouraged by anything. Don't deny anything. If medicine's going to heal you, if psychology is going to heal you, if finding a mentor is going to heal you, if nutrition is going to heal you, use it all. Use it all. Pray to God. Pray for his power and his spirit to just activate all of those things and begin to get up from where you are and begin to walk in the healing and the power that God has for your life. Amen? That's what God wants us to do. Hallelujah. But the story isn't over yet. <laughs> the story's not over yet because I, I just want to let you, I mean, this is awesome. I want to let you in on what happens next, okay? So the man is healed, you can see. His neighbors and his friends, instead of jumping up and down for joy and throwing a party, what do they do? They doubt him. They question him. They're like, what? You can see now? I don't believe it. He's like, no, dude, I can really see. And they started arguing. They're like, is this really the man that was born blind? And some of his neighbors said, nah, it's somebody else. It's somebody else. We must have got him mistaken. Because there's no way that the dude that we knew that begged every day in the same spot every single day of his life and has been blind every single day of his life, there's no way that he can be healed. And his friends and his neighbors, they start to doubt him. They start to doubt him and they start to come against him. And so they take him to the temple, to the synagogue, to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and they take him there and the religious leaders start to investigate. They start to interrogate him. They're like, oh, you can see now? You were blind once. Tell us how it happened. And he told them what Jesus did. He went through all the process. And they said, wait a minute, wait a minute. He healed on the Sabbath? He did something on the Sabbath? Well, then he's a sinner. That's no good then. He's a sinner. He broke the law. Because you weren't supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. And apparently taking some dirt and mixing it with some spit and making mud or clay is called work. And apparently you can't even do that. Can you imagine? They're telling the creator of the universe, you're not allowed to create on the Sabbath. You must not be God. You must not be righteous. You must be a sinner. And the man responds and says, well, how? But other people, actually other religious leaders say, but wait a minute. His eyes are open. And a sinner can't do that. So, so we're in a bit of a quandary here, right? And so they call in the man's parents, right? And they went, parents, they said, listen, parents, we're investigating this healing. And we want to know, is this your son? Was he born blind? All right. What happens? I guess... Woo, hallelujah. 
My iPad died, praise the Lord. Don't worry, we'll get back to it in a minute. So they bring him in and they ask him, is this your son? Was he born blind? And if he was, then how is it that he can see now? And the parents said, well, to your first question, yes, he is our son. We can, we can verify that. To your second question, yes, he was born blind, right? And, but as to the third question, we're not going to answer. We have no idea. He's old enough asking himself. And John says that they did this because they were scared. Because the Pharisees have said, if anyone says that Jesus is the Messiah, then they're going to be thrown out of the synagogue. So even his own parents came, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't stand with him. They wouldn't stand up with him. His friends doubted him. The religious leaders interrogated him. And his own parents just kind of left him hanging out to dry. Amen? Let me see if I can get this slideshow back on here real quick in a second. Amen? And so they bring the man back in again. They bring him in a second time. And they say to him, give glory to God. There's a problem with the network. It's telling me, go ahead and shut it off. Amen? Go ahead and shut it off. We'll just do it this way. They say, give glory to God, man. Is this guy Jesus a sinner or not? Tell us who he is. And he says, look, all I know is this. Everybody's asking all these kind of questions. Everybody's doubting. My own parents won't even stand up for me. But all I know is this. Once I was blind, but now I can see. Once I was blind, but now I can see. Amen. And and the the Pharisees said, well, how how did he heal you? How was it you can see? And the man's like, I already told you. I already explained to you, right? I already explained to you what happened. I already explained to you, what, what, why do you want to hear again? Do you want to become his disciples? He starts to get a little bold. And the Pharisees are like, what? We're the disciples of Moses. We don't want to become his followers. What are you talking about? We don't even know who this man is. And then the man starts to get up a little more. He's like, oh, that's interesting. You don't even know who this guy is. Here he can do something that's never been done before, and you don't even know who he is, and you don't even know what to say about it. How smart are you, is what he's saying. And that's when the religious leaders get real upset, because you want to get someone upset that's in power, tell them that they don't know what they're talking about, all right? And that gets that person in power really upset. And they're like, who are you to lecture us? You were a sinner from birth, and they throw him out of the synagogue. So now he is thrown out. He is thrown out of the synagogue. He has been rejected by his friends and his neighbors. He has been rejected by the religious leaders. He has been rejected and left alone by his parents. All because he was healed in the name and the power of Jesus Christ. Wow. Does anybody know what that feels like this morning? Anybody ever felt like you're all alone? Anybody ever felt like your family doesn't understand you? Anybody ever felt like your friends don't understand you? Even some of you here, that's why we created Hartford City Church. Because unfortunately, we know that even in the church, some of you have been persecuted. Some of you have been thrown out. Maybe not literally, but everything that was said and done told you that you were not welcome. Told you that you did not belong. And you feel like you're completely on your own in this world. But I want to tell you some good news. First of all, you've got to realize the truth, right? Haters are going to hate. Haters are going to hate. And this man had a lot of haters in his life, amen? Haters gonna hate. That's what we say amen to at Arthur City Church. Haters gonna hate. We say amen, right? Haters are gonna hate. And you gotta realize that when you're down to nothing, God is up to something. Oh, who wants that this morning? Write that down. When you're down to nothing, God is up to something, right? When you are down to nothing, 
God is up to something because Jesus has your back. Right? Some of you, that's all you need to hear, right? That's all you need to hear. Write it down. Those people who are writing, you other people. Haters gonna hate, but Jesus got my back, right? In fact, say, say that to somebody. Turn to somebody and say, haters gonna hate, but Jesus got my back. Come on, say it like you mean it. Jesus got my back. There you go. You got to mean it this morning, all right? So this is what I love. I want you to hear the very end of this story, and I'm going to read it from the message version, all right? And I want you to hear this clearly because it's so powerful what happens. Here's this man thrown out. He's down to nothing, but God is up to something. And, and it says in the narrative from the message version, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and he went and found him. And he asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man said, point him out to me, sir, so that I can believe in him. And Jesus said, you're looking right at him. Don't you recognize my voice? Master, I believe, the man said, and worshiped him. Jesus then said, I came into the world to bring everything into the clear light of day making all the distinctions clear so that those who have never seen will see and those who have made a great pretense of seeing will be exposed as blind. You see, Jesus is now taking it to the spiritual level. From the physical to the spiritual, he said, I'm not just talking about physical blindness and the physical ability to see. I'm talking about people who claim to see. I'm talking about people who say they know the truth. People who claim that they have the wisdom and the revelation and the insight of God, but they're really blind. And in the presence of Jesus Christ, all the pretenders, all the fakes, all the people that are part of the powers and principalities of this world are exposed for the frauds that they are. Amen. Amen. And take courage in that. Anyone can claim to be a Christian or to follow a Christ, but the light of Christ will expose them to know if they are frauds or if they really are living in the light. Amen. And those who know they're blind, those who know the struggle is real, those who know that I am just a sinner in need of a Savior, those who know they've gotten to the point, right, when you're down to nothing, but you've got to believe God is up to something, right? When you get to the point where you say, I have no power to change my life, God, help me. I can't do this on my own. I can't do this on my own. And nobody else can do it for me. But if God's power is working through that, then Jesus will bring you healing Amen. and Jesus will bring you home. And that's my message this morning, that Jesus will bring you healing and Jesus will bring you home. The most powerful part of this narrative for me is that when Jesus heard they had thrown him out, they went and, he went and found him. Amen. Amen. When Jesus heard that you had been thrown out, he's coming to find you. When Jesus heard that your friends threw you out, when your friends blocked your number, when they unfriended you on Facebook, Jesus heard about it and he's coming to find you. When your family threw you out, Jesus heard about it. Yes, he did. When your family left you, when they abandoned you, when they left you hanging to dry, Jesus heard about it and he's coming to find you. Amen. When you thought that going to church was going to make it better, and that church disappointed you. And the leaders let you down. And in every way possible, they told you you don't belong here. You don't fit in here. You're not good enough. You're not worthy enough. And you felt thrown out even by the church. Jesus heard about it. Jesus heard about it. 
And he came and he found you. And Jesus wants to find you today. Would you like to receive a healing today? Would you like to come home today? Would you like to understand that the power of God is present in this room to bring you healing and to bring you home? I want to give us an opportunity to do that this morning, right? I need the worship team to come up, man. I need the worship team to come up. I want the band to start playing in this moment, amen? Because we're going to pray today right here in this moment that God would bring you healing and that God would bring you home.